Welcome back, friends, to another episode. This one's really important to us for two reasons. One, in this show, we are going to cover a definition of spirituality that we think is going to be very important for us to understand the way in which we can outfox religious wolves, really emphasizing that word religious. What's the difference between spirituality and religion? We'll get into that. But what we're doing is we are going to be putting together a show based on three listener questions. Each of these questions relates to the big question about the relationship between our embodied physical existence and the eternal. It is an exciting one for me because it it brings together all sorts of strands of things we've been interested in, and we're going to start briefly with a little bit of a conversation about Stacy and my experience with voodoo in New Orleans. Don't get too worried. We're going to have a lot of fun. It'll be an easy ride. Come along. Stand by to dive. Diving stations. Dive. Dive. Welcome, friends, to the Protect Your Noggin podcast. We offer lessons in outfoxing religious wolves. And sometimes we will address emotionally difficult subjects. So make sure you pay careful attention to our descriptions of each of the episodes. And then also have some resources handy, such as the Crisis Text Line. That's one of our favorites, which is 741-741. That's 741-741. Now, just take a deep breath, because we're not afraid to go deep. But don't worry because we'll also have some fun along the way. Our plan is to help us all resurface with insights and tools to help heal ourselves and our communities. So come along, because we got this. All right, Stacy. when we were on our way into Louisiana, we teased the listener <laughs> with this idea that we were going to go check out some voodoo stuff. Mm-hmm. And we were thinking of doing a whole show on it, but we got, I think, a few lessons that we learned mm-hmm. that we're going to bring to the dear listener and tie them into the bigger question that we have for this show about spirit and flesh and uh, the difference between magic, mysticism, and religion. Right. And why we, we prefer a kind of embodied physically connected mysticism. But as we as we got to New Orleans, it was a big party. It was crazy that just as they say, <laughs> man, the French Quarter is uh, is hopping. But we hit a couple places. One was a more of a store and the other was more of a of a center for for voodoo practitioners. Right. What was your experience with that? Well, first of all, leading up to going into either of the places was that all I knew of voodoo was essentially, you know, dolls where you get little pins and then maybe, you know, put curses on your worst enemies. <laughs> you know, not that I had ever yeah, done that, but no. that was what I thought happened with voodoo. To that, the movies. <laughs> you know, that was what I, that was the extent of my knowledge. I was surprised that when, you know, that one of the stores, they had somebody standing outside saying, you know, come in, it's about positivity and, and love. I'm like, what? That, that wasn't my experience with voodoo. I thought, like, I thought maybe it's more demonic or something or the dark arts, if you will. And there were some people that were there buying voodoo dolls and things like that. Um, I think it was more not to put curses on on their friends um, or enemies, I guess you shall say. Um, <laughs> but they were buying the voodoo dolls, I think, for uh, love. You know, they were they were seeking 
a romance. You know, a romance. Yeah. And at the second store that was more of the center, I learned that it reminded me a lot more of what it felt like when we were in China and doing like sort of prayers to Buddha for prosperity or whatever. Well, so what it was different, but they had different spiritual beings. The Orishas, they're called. You know, you, you get one, you can get the doll or something that represents that one and that you would then pray for this being to intercede for that success in, on that plane, whatever it was that you were after. But very often you would put a cigarette or a dollar or, or something of value. Right. Much like how they were. That's how they did it in China as well. You know, just, yeah. to, you know, like some sort of earthly thing that you can, you know, that represented something meaningful or like a valuable to you. Right. You had <laughs> you to know. give up something yeah, valuable. Yeah, give up. <laughs> and, and, and in that way, you get something hopefully in return that is more valuable that you're after. <laughs> so very transactional, as well as to me, it spoke of a lack of empowerment that you need to give up something in order to gain something as well as, you know, it, it really, my heart goes out to all these people that, you know, you feel so lost or you want this thing and you need help. You need help. And, and I don't know, I think that that's the way a lot of these like religious things, they really lure you in. You know, it's your, it's your weakness, you know, your whatever, wherever you're feeling a lack of empowerment or you want something different or something to change in your life. And, and it, so it was for me, that was sad that people felt that this is, you know, how you do it. But then I don't know, like, I don't know that much more about the, re the religion itself um, or the. The practice, the practice, right? Like, right. And this is, and this is why, even though we're saying, you know, before we did this show, we're going to make sure we distinguish magic, spirituality, and religion, or magic, mysticism, and religion. Right. It's, it's really impossible. It's magic. It's magic. It's magic, right? So here, here's, here's the kind of academic take. The thing that I noticed was that voodoo, and I, you know, I'd studied it, you know, in for world religions classes, but I never kind of met people. Mm -hmm. When I was outside the the second store. There were uh, there was a, a nice gentleman that came in. And he was maybe he ran the place, and he he was very kind. And he saw the dog. He said, "Come on in." You know, the d dogs welcome in mm. too. And then when Bindi came in, she had been kind of agitated, and he just very calmly kind of brought her down. And so it was a it was a peaceful it was place. Very it wasn't peaceful. it wasn't like you know it didn't have like a, a bad I didn't, vibe. Yeah, to I it. didn't feel negative energy. No. But uh, but at the same time, what you're looking at is a perfect example of what religious scholars call syncretism. That's when you blend two different religions into a new thing. And here you've got traditional African religion called Yoruba blending in with Catholicism in the South and perhaps a little bit of Native American spirituality, mm -hmm. Caribbean mm -hmm. stuff. And uh, this, is, this is kind of the, the reason why we didn't want to go too deep into it because... It's interesting as a religious concept, but I think it's the principle is more interesting than voodoo itself. And, right. and by this, I mean, what, what is magic giving to people? The difficulty in understanding voodoo comes from a, a few different angles. One is, is actually just racism. That is, for some reason, people are kind of cool with, with uh, acupuncture or herbal Chinese medicine or even a little shrine to an ancestor or mm -hmm. something in, in a, like in a Shinto context, mm -hmm. you know. We're kind of cool with that. You know, it's exotic. It's interesting. 
but it's not really threatening. And and I think it's it's you know it has a lot to do with what people were able to get away with in pop culture. You know that that has formed a lot of like you mentioned about you know with the whole voodoo thing, right? Like that was acceptable for them to put it in that light and leave it there. Ah, uh, that's you, what you I'm trying to oh, say. Oh, you couldn't have, yeah. So if you were making fun of traditional Chinese medicine and making that demonic, that would seem out of place. If you were especially saying, oh, this Native American spirituality, this this Indian practice mm-hmm. is is demonic. Mm-hmm. then that would seem that you're not woke enough. But for some reason, we're kind of okay right. with equating it uh, with, with voodoo, with, with devil worship, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, but there's another reason for this. So the one side is you've got the Anglo world, the mainstream kind of you know white culture in the last century, attracted to it in a way mm-hmm. because it's so exotic and so spooky. And of course, no one's like this. But also... <laughs> Uh, but also this idea that in many cases, like like uh, there would be musicians, they use this. You know, I put a spell on you. Mm-hmm. There, there's a way in which this is empowering to people that mainstream culture has marginalized. Mm-hmm. So the ability to have this this super deep power from the other side, you know, as mm-hmm. the princess and the frog, I got friends on the other side. If you feel like you've got no friends, we talked about last week, this idea that you need a gang. Mm-hmm. If you feel lonely, if you feel helpless, if you feel just crushed by the world, then there is a way in which people will use both the the light and the dark forces. Yeah, well, and think about even with the witch trials, right? They got accused of devil worship and, and using magic. Straight up from the same kind of thing. Right, saying, but same you, stuff. But from a Christian, from a conservative Christian perspective, what you're looking at is indigenous religion that people all around the world have, mm-hmm. but in the context of the We've, slaves that have been brought over, and then the way that that can connect up with, with again, Native American f- folk traditions, then that is seen as demonic, and it's demonized in a way that others aren't. One of the things that's interesting there is that folk Catholicism and some of the things they were doing in voodoo seemed for pretty similar as well. Yep. And in fact, some of the Orishas that they had, they would put the parallel with the Catholic saints. Mm. And what is this? I remember there was a time I was speaking, and I was... I was I was kind of talking about the the importance of not not feeling like you had to have an intermediary. Mm-hmm. And there was a woman who said, you know, uh, in my my growing up, my connection, my devotion to the Virgin of Guadalupe was really important. And there's so many reasons why that is kind of a cool image. It's it's saying that the people that were oppressed by these Catholic missionaries get to say, this is my religion too. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's there's that. But what I said is. If if devotion to Mary is helpful for you, I'm not here to hassle you about that. I, I totally get that. All I'm saying is, if you think the, the the source of the whole universe, if you think the God of all existence is too dangerous or hateful to approach, and you've got to approach yeah. the God of all reality through one of these lesser beings, then that's the problem. And we're told to fear God. Right. But what they, that means Sometimes. for a lot of us is like... Be terrified of God because He's going to give you a beating. Or but Mother yeah, you Mary, might go to hell, yeah. Mother Mary will be nice to you. And so all I all She'll I'm saying compassion. is the the the, the she proper, can hear your cries. Yes, the proper Protestant criticism of the veneration of saints and and uh, and and the Virgin Mary should not be a kind of cultural disdain, and or even I think even some kind of almost like Taliban, no image kind of freak out, you know. It's rather to say 
do you understand how much love there already is and you don't need to be so worried? Yes. You don't need to light an extra little candle. If that helps, light your candle. But if you think that nobody loves you unless you do these little things, you put a little cigarette that you at the have feet to of this earn, Orisha. You have to earn God's grace or love. Because all of that is a transaction. Yes. And so this takes us to the bigger point, and that is the reason we're not big fans of the voodoo is the same reason we're not big fans of trying to make a deal with God, right? Capital G. Well, and and we unfortunately have done this very same thing to even yeah God. Like we will we negotiate. <laughs> yes, we all negotiate. We. I mean, I'm not saying you can't pray for things that you you know you hope for or want in your life, but we almost use it like a good luck charm sometimes. Mm-hmm. And if you do it, that is not. That's not what we're talking about with spirituality here. Yeah, or Jesus you're, you're not, is my cosmic genie. Yes, and and that I'm going to go to church so that my business is successful. You know, that's mm. not that's not mm. what that's about. Yeah, I mean, so so to to go back to that the distinction that I want to make sure the listener gets is you've got magic, you've got spirituality, mm-hmm. also for us known as a, a, an earthy mysticism. Okay, um, and then you've got and you've got religion. Or religiosity. Now, yeah. Now, but religion, the way we want to use it here is, if I become part of the right institution, then I'm good. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to, everyone's going to love me. You've done the multiple choice test correctly. What are you? You... I am this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Now you're safe. Are you Shiite? You're Muslim. Are you Protestant? Are you Baptist? Are you Methodist? Mm -hmm. Okay, I got the right one. What kind of Methodist? I'm a free Methodist. Good. Okay, now you're safe. You get the right religion. You support that organization you support those buildings you support that denomination and then and then but then what happens something goes you know weird and we're like wait a minute that's not the right one now you got to go on this desperate search again to find another one as if the only way you can access the true god of the universe is is through that proper structure yeah but what's the difference between religion and magic in this case the way we're using it magic is for people who are sometimes marginalized or at the bottom of the hierarchy. They want a bodyguard <laughs> or an inner, inner, inner seater, right? Yeah. Like somebody to intercede for them. And sometimes maybe bottom isn't the right word. It could be more shamanistic. You know, it could be more of a, of a, of a hunter-gatherer, early kind of tribal kind of existence, whereas religion tends to be Egypt or Rome or Persia, right? Mm-hmm. The way I'm thinking about it. Mm-hmm. So you go, religion is this like, is, is, is this is an organized thing. I mean, maybe we think organized religion, but it's tied to civilization, whereas the magic is tied to smaller communities. Or people that get kicked out of civilization. That is often the case, right? Or, as, as most sociologists note, you could have a blend of both. So a lot of these things we call superstitions come up when you're terrified and you mm-hmm. feel helpless. Baseball players tend to be very superstitious <laughs> yes. because they want that extra help, yep. right? Now, what for us is mysticism is a realization of the loving presence of grace throughout all things that God is in with and under God is in with and under for Christians bread and wine in a very real way Mm -hmm. that, and this takes us to this idea of what spirituality is. It is not that this organization gets to give me the bread and wine that matters, Mm -hmm. nor is it that I'm going to use this bread and I can put it into like a magical spell it's that I'm recognizing the real presence of the infinite Logos, the mm-hmm. God of gods, in this little 
bread. That okay? I now have a direct connection to. Uh-huh. So, I mean, that's, that's what we mean. Like, so when we think of mysticism or when I, when I look my puppy in the eye, there's like this human moment. Spirituality isn't otherworldly. It is recognizing the otherworldly within our present reality. So the primary problem with, with voodoo is that for us, it is too transactional and not empowering enough to right. say, no, you don't need either this voodoo priestess, mm-hmm. nor do you need the Pope mm-hmm. to access. They might be very helpful, interesting people to talk to, but... They're not your entryway to God. And they aren't the gatekeepers. Yes. They aren't people that you've yes. got to like appease. They're not like the person who says you can't pass by this bridge unless you pay my toll. Yes. Because God, friends, is in the public domain. That's what we mean by spiritual. So when somebody says to me, I'm spiritual but not religious, if they mean I see the divine reality present and the grace present for me right here that I don't need to do something transactional in order to get it right. and that this is my birthright, then if that's what you mean, then be spiritual, not religious. And then we would say another way of talking about that is a grounded mysticism. Now, before we get to how this fits into some other things we're doing and the questions that we've got coming up, let me just say one more thing about voodoo. Uh, actually, two more things about voodoo. One that there is a way in which the people themselves did sometimes play up the spookiness. Yeah. You know. And I'm sure that was also the connection with Catholicism that we saw there in New Orleans because they're getting people that are obviously tourists, probably, you know, the more taboo pe- is what makes it fun. More people are Catholic than, you know, most other, you know, probably one of the biggest religions, obviously, is Catholicism. So if you could sort of make a connection that, see, it's not so bad, it's like, it's like your Catholic religion. And if you're not, like, there's a lot of Catholics that, you know, they'll, they, they maybe say they're Catholic, but they don't even, they're not even that involved with the church. Right. Um, and so, so if they can feel, like if they can feel yeah, yeah, if they can feel all right about it, then they're more likely to be able to buy something and support the store and the store stays in business. Right. So mm-hmm. there's that element. I'm, you know, and, and obviously playing up the fun, it's, it's, it's part of the. It's like Halloween, mm-hmm. right? So like mm-hmm. you want. That's kind of what you're going there for. You didn't go there for New Age spirituality or herbs. <laughs> you went there for the 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 doll. You know, <laughs> so that was the idea. That's the allure. But that also is to say that in these these more uh, Abrahamic faiths, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, there's only one God, and those other deities are not to be, you know, really right. dealt with that much, right? They're idols. Uh, or they're or they're demonic or mm-hmm. whatever. So you just don't have that, and therefore the only real connection to the divine is going to be through goodness and positive things. Mm-hmm. Okay? The one thing that is real is that in in these folk traditions and in magical traditions, there is white magic and black magic. Mm-hmm. Now I that met, is definitely true, right? And so and so now it doesn't always mean that you're evil when you're using it, but it's positive and negative forces. Right. And maybe, what energy are you drawing off of to be successful in whatever right. you're seeking? So sometimes you need to destroy. Well, then you'd call upon a lesser deity to help you do this, mm-hmm. and maybe you should destroy. And this takes me to one interesting encounter I had with a woman who was a, a voodoo priestess. And she had written a book, and she met me. We were, at a, we were at a thing for people that had written books in New York City. And she saw that my book was connected somehow to a Christian tradition, and she had been very, very much harmed by missionaries in Africa. I don't, so she, think, I don't think it went unnoticed that the title of your book either, Sexy. Yes. Okay, so right. So I so, think it was probably— I'm, Yeah. 
it seemed like there was a sexual right. So she was trauma involved yeah, and, in her whole. And there was. She told me this, path. and so she approached me. She was very. She was very angry, and whether she thought I was like a creeper or a hypocrite or didn't didn't know, but she was saying to me that we're on. She says, "Listen, we're on. We're on different teams here." Mm-hmm. And she says, "I." And she almost like was kind of trying to trying to troll me a little bit. I'm. I'm. Uh, I am very comfortable and often practice black magic i i practice the dark arts. that's what she was saying yeah <laughs> just and, to be clear <laughs> right 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 and she said that's part of voodoo too i said okay well tell me more and uh, but she was again started out very hostile what do you mean by hostile well she just her 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 physical posture her face her her voice was raised and she was she was mm, coming at me okay right yeah. like she was basically She's assuming, aggressively sort of right. like you know showing. so here i'm the christian she's the voodoo priestess i'm you know, I'm over here, and then she's saying, "No, I, uh, I'm saying, hey, I'm here on positivity, love, peace, love, and and, and harmony." Mm-hmm. And she's saying, "No, sometimes I need to use the dark arts." And I said, "Well, like, let's let's talk about it because I'm really curious. What, what, how do you how do you do this? Like, tell me why you would turn to the dark arts and 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 why you feel good about that." And uh, so she didn't want to get too too much into it until she could kind of peer into my soul. She said, "Well, give me your hand." So I was like, "All right, let's let's do this." And she just kind of looking straight at me to see, you know, she could see into my soul. And it, I feel pretty good about this one because it was a little unnerving. Mm-hmm. I right? like to have a voodoo priestess that was saying, "I practice the dark arts, and now I'm going to get your soul." <laughs> oh, absolutely! And I just with with as much compassion as I could in my eyes, I just said, "You know, I'm looking at." Her, I said, "Listen, I understand. I understand that you've been harmed, and I'm not. I am not your enemy." Mm-hmm. We don't see eye to eye on religious things, but I'm not your enemy. I do want to talk to you about your experience. So that then, then she just switched. So she was, she was like, you know, like in a bar fight, ready to mm-hmm, go. Mm-hmm. And then now we're sitting down, and she told me a little of her story, and it helped me to understand again what we kind of mentioned a little bit about why magic is important to people. We're not making fun of people that are into magic. Mm-hmm. We're saying. The, and not even in a condescending way, but just to understand. And what what she what she basically said. Well, can was, I and can I say yeah. that there there is a, even hearing the the story because I wasn't there, but there was a a power behind that. It feels she feels more powerful even yes. because oh, she was scary. Here, yeah, she was a little scary to me, right? And so, but and, why I wasn't scared of her? And and she's carrying around this armor, if yes. you will, to protect herself. That was the dark arts for her. Yeah. That's exactly what it was. It's like a missionary kid listening to to satanic death metal. It's I am so scared of hell and the world around me. I'm going to get in enveloped in this gang mm-hmm. of the bad guys in a sense. I mean, I had this when I was a little kid. I used to be really into like the the Adams family and the monsters and I thought it'd be cool to be a monster because if you're one of the bad guys, then you're safe. Right. You know, that was like right. that, that kind right. of weird experience. People, you know? Yeah, people want to, and, and the good guys you're hoping like don't really press you too hard on it yeah. and, and, and yeah. that you could just, you know, be a little meaner and they'll be, you know, back oh, down. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, that's, I mean, that's, that's a lot of the time. People, people are softies, but they might have tattoos that make them look hard. Mm-hmm. And they're doing that on purpose to mm-hmm. kind of, like we were talking about the senses, they're using. Keep their distance. Yeah. You know, get you to know like you're not going to mess with me, you know. Because they've been messed with. So this, this was helpful. But basically, yeah, that's what she said. She said that when 
there are these incredible weights, this imperial power, this church power, right? You've got these big churches tied to these big governments, tied to big corporations, and you're this person who has hardly enough to eat, and you're an orphan in this small village. Yeah. And then you don't have any power. If you can call upon an ancient ancestral power to fight back, mm-hmm. I totally get it. Right? I mean, this is... You see where it I, comes I, from. I, I totally get it. And the solution isn't to to say, oh, like in, you know, well, we don't, I don't like your culture. I don't like your religion. It's to say, figure out if you don't want to join me in something even bigger. From love and right? compassion is the only right? way. Can you transcend that? And I'll transcend my uh, my angry legalistic f- fundamentalism, and we'll both find out where the butterflies are now, like reemerging <laughs> out of their right. their little sh- their little chrysalis, right? So, but but here's the thing, though: magic tends to be very much emphasizing the earthy. So, what do we see? Herbs and candles and the skulls of rabbits. Mm-hmm. You know, that's magic. And then there is there is religion, and that tends to be written down principles, codes, and doctrine, mm-hmm. and pronouncements, you see? So it's, it's almost detached. So we're not here trying to, to label any of this stuff so that you can negate it. We're just trying to give you some ways of kind of thinking about these different frameworks for the way we think. And I think that one of the things that Stacy and I have found through a lot of what we've been reading and researching and, and translating is that the healthiest spirituality is one that brings a balance between the ideas and the embodiment and the life. It's the, it's the preaching and the practice. Mm-hmm. It's, the, it's the doctrine that enlivens and awakens to something that now affects our relationships mm-hmm. and the way we are together. But I'll say that as a shorthand before we get into our questions, if you go to a religious community, whether it is Buddhist, Hindu, Christian, say, and you go to that community and it is exclusively transcendent. That is, it's all about the otherness. It's all about escaping the physical existence. Maybe it's really against sexuality. So it's like, don't, there are Hindu traditions that say you cannot be an enlightened one and embrace your sexuality. There are, you know, there's the Catholic tradition that says, you know, if you really want to be a saint, you've got to be celibate. Mm-hmm. And, there, and there's a way in which this was, this was true also in some forms of Buddhism. There's a way in which Buddhism sometimes takes on this flavor of complete escape from the world, right? We're going to look at a way in which Jesus and, and, and the Tao Te Ching, just in a moment, are kind of set apart from that sort of thing. But you do find it in all of the religions. So if you're part of a thing or a, or a, or a spiritual tradition or faith tradition that only emphasizes one or the other, we think you're both out of balance mm-hmm. and it's unhealthy. And so one of the ways this works in Christianity is that tr- Christian progressive churches, liberal churches, sometimes will emphasize social justice mm-hmm. and work in the world, ethics. Yep. As the embodiment of the teachings of Jesus. And then you'll have other, uh, other traditions like, uh, let's say, conservative evangelicalism that's not charismatic, more like a 45-minute sermon and maybe a couple hymns, very cognitive. It, sometimes in those cultures, in those, those communities on the conservative Christian world, if you find somebody too 
active in serving people in the community, too concerned about the poor, too concerned about racial reconciliation, then they're viewed with suspicion because people think, oh, they must not be interested in the theological ideas, the big well, ideas. And, and they can sometimes, it can be interpreted as they're trying to earn their salvation. But, uh, but you see, but both of those, we need each other. We, what, what, what's the good of the prophetic voice of the church if the church is basically just rubber stamping whatever the culture says? Mm-hmm. And this, of course, can be on the liberal side or the conservative side, right? Mm-hmm. If, if, if a church doesn't push back against the world in any significant way, you might as well find a more efficient you know, charity to work with. Right, right, right. right, then right. W- why are you wasting your time sitting in a pew if all it is is a, is a community club where we figure out how to, how to do good charitable acts? Or... What's the good of going and putting your butt in a pew just to hear a bunch of information that you never take to heart or and, and then the, the rest of the week, the rest of the week is just, I don't know where that, that was one little corner I had yeah. and now the rest of the week I go about my business. Yeah. I mean, so what is it to be spiritual? Here's what we want to propose to you. To be spiritual is to be able to bring together the transcendent and the imminent to bring together the holy and the divine into the profane world, the world that we are actually in. And when you find that, that is some of the most important spiritual teaching. And so spiritual teaching or spirituality isn't otherworldliness. It's a deep revival of worldliness, being in the world and bringing the spirit into it. And this is what you're hitting on exactly what Brett's question was. Now. Right. So Brett was really happy to meet him. In person, when I went to Indiana, we had a wonderful... I've been hearing a lot about Jesus being our example of what it means to be fully human, and we should look at his example and learn to be like him. Thoughts? I see truth in it, but it seems to minimize his divinity and the uniqueness of his mission on earth. Now, this is a very important question for our times. Let me give you the short theological background here. In the early church, you had this as really the center point, or this this was kind of the main conversation for Christian theology. You had the Antiochians, the people from Antioch, that emphasized the humanity of Jesus, and you had the Alexandrians from Alexandria who emphasized the divinity of Jesus, right? And ultimately, the church came together and said, listen, we, we really need to make sure that we embrace both of these that God in Jesus is fully human and fully divine. And if you have only one or the other, just like I said with your spirituality... Then it's off. You're missing the point somehow. Now, here's here's the problem with this. For many, what you're hearing, Brett, is probably that there needs to be some embodiment to this message. And so... There's the pendulum swing that comes back and yeah, forth. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Because, mm. you know, when you're, whenever you're off, it seems like it goes in one direction and then all the way over to the next. And, and so the real space there is in the balance between the two of them. If you hear people emphasizing the need to follow the way of Jesus, to listen to Jesus' teachings, that's probably because they think they're not hearing enough of it or they're not seeing the manifestation of that in the world. Mm-hmm. On the other hand... When I was talking to my friend Dave Saul, he was saying that in his context, where he deals more, uh, more often with, with progressive Episcopalians, he wants to say to them, don't just make this a this-worldly kind of religion. Right. Don't forget the transcendent. Because the transcendent, that is the eternal, the stuff outside of our daily experience, is what motivates a new way of seeing the world around us. Right. You see the world differently so that when you are 
doing something for someone else. It's not to earn your salvation. It's right. not because you're self-righteous. It's because it flows out of you because this is the new way that you see the world through that new lens. That, that, that experience with the voodoo priestess. I am not thinking that I was a better person for being compassionate towards her and, and having a good quality conversation instead of getting amped up. It's because I saw her as a, as a sister. Mm-hmm. Because I saw her as a human being, as my neighbor, right. then I wanted to understand what was going on with her. Right. And that is what diffused an otherwise hostile kind of conversation. As well as you wanted, I mean, just also say, I, I hear you. I see I wanted your to pain. Hear it. I wanted you know? to understand. So, so, but that doesn't take willpower. It doesn't take me getting up in the morning and saying, I, like, you know, I'm, no, I'm not, I have to do that. <laughs> Nor did I, you're like, oh, did I, did, a, did I do a good, I did a good job today. I talked to somebody and, you know. Do, do like, I get points for heaven or, or do I have to worry about should, going to hell? Yeah. No, but the idea is the same, the same thing is true. When, this is the whole point of the book that I was talking about at that, at that uh, context, was that your sexuality isn't going to get better in terms of the way you treat other people by willpower. If you're like, well, I really like to mistreat, I really like to just hook up with people and then ignore them yeah, and break their hearts. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to not do it today. Okay, today, <laughs> I'm going to get better. I'm not going to do that today, today. No, the person who has an aligned spirituality, the, the person who is healthy mm-hmm. spiritually is not going to find hookup culture attractive. Not because God's saying, don't be naughty, but because you're saying, no, I want something deeper than that. Yeah. Right? I want something richer than that. And also, I don't want to break people's hearts. Yeah. Right? Why right, not? Right. Because they're fellow human beings. Yeah. I'm connected to them. I care about them. But it's, it's the reawakening of the mind that comes through proper spirituality that is what motivates ethics. Right. Not nagging on the left, nor fear of hell on the right but a balanced and, and, right. and good spirituality. So that's like the, that's the Christian version, mm-hmm. that Jesus is fully God and fully human, that Jesus is this God that can't be really named in mm-hmm. a way, like mm-hmm. Yahweh is, is a name that is dangerous for the ancient Israelites to say. That's why they didn't want to say it. Like, because to take the Lord's name in vain is to say Yahweh wants this or Yahweh damns this. Yeah. But you got to be very careful because to take the Lord's name in vain isn't to see isn't to say gee damn it. Yeah. It's to say God flooded New Orleans because of sin and you don't have well, the authorization I'm, to say that you're speaking on behalf of God when you you don't have the right. And I think and I think the other part yes, but the other part of it which well, I, I'll read to you this chapter, but before I do, let me preface it with this. This is a chapter from the Tao Te Ching. Correct, that we had translated, that the God that, the true God, or, you know, it came before anything was named. And so if we attach a name to it, we're we're attaching something that we can name based on an experience that we have, but it isn't really the true name of something that came before. I mean, it it doesn't encompass what actually is that came before all that. So when we attach names, yes, we're seeing a glimpse of of things about it or whatever and give it that name. Mm -hmm. But to say that that is now it, what it all is in its entirety is, is missing the point because we can't do that. Let me take this to Judaism before, because we did the Christianity thing. Let me take it to Judaism. The way that this translates, it's not just an Eastern idea that you're about to hit. 
for faith, for the faith of Judaism, it is not faith in a Platonic abstract notion of divinity mm-hmm. or godness or even Tao. There is that Godhead. There is that reality, that eternal, unspeakable, what we say in, in you know, a technical way, ineffable. It can't be put into words. This ineffable divine reality behind all things, the source of all things, God. For the Jew is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Mm-hmm. It then, this, this glory, the I am being, becomes encountered through a relationship that starts to take place in history through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this, this right. conversation. And, and then, then for Christians, you tag on the, Jesus. And, the Gentiles. Yeah, right. No, but it, it spread, yeah, through, yeah, through Jesus, then when you, to the so, Gentiles. So then for Christians. For Christians, then it came about with Jesus and spreading through to the Gentiles. It wasn't just Jews. It was, you know, it, it, it got larger. Right? But history matters. The Exodus matters. The Last Supper matters. So spirituality, in its best sense, is saying... I recognize that there's this, there's this divine reality beyond description, but the way that I, I connect to it is through this narrative of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jesus, and then to the ends of the earth. Right. It's the, it's the narrative, it's the dance of existence mm-hmm. that actually makes God real for us. Correct. Keep going. All right. So this is chapter one. Yes. And so chapter. I'm so excited, again, just to remind you all that, that starting in January— I will read one of the chapters from the Tao Te Ching and then offer a reflection on it. And that will be available to all of our Patreons. And I want to thank... Um, to all of our Patreon supporters. Oh, sorry. Okay. And that will be available to all of our Patreon tippers. <laughs> thank yep. you so much for all of you that have jumped on board and want to go through this journey with us. And I want to do a special thank you to some new tippers, Jake and Alice and Jeffrey. And honestly, I can't tell you how much this means to us. We've, we're spending a lot of time on all this. And it really is, is nice that if we can continue to keep doing this type of thing and offering this stuff to you all, um, it it really kind of helped. We do have bills to pay. <laughs> so it really does help uh, when we get your support. And, and just to know also that that you're appreciating this. So even if, if financially you're not able to support us, totally get it. We love if you can offer us a review on the, any, any avenue that you're listening to us on. Tell a friend, follow us on Twitter or at Dow Surfers, T-A-O-S-U-R-F-E-R-S, and you can get some stuff for free. Uh, we get little snippets every once in a while of the Dow to Jing and throw that up on our Instagram page. Without further ado, chapter one. The Tao set forth as dogma is not the everlasting Tao. Words cannot contain the infinite word. The nameless reality is the source of the heavens and the earth. The cosmos we can name gives birth to every living thing. Now, if you release resentment and longing, you can breathe deep, resting in the sublime. Yet through desire, the material world arises and begins to dance. Though the sublime and the dance have different names, they share a common source. Grasping this mystery of mysteries opens the door to deep understanding. I like that one. That was hard. That's a hard (laughs) one because you don't don't want to lead with something. You know, we may make some changes here and there, but it was a tough one. You had to get into it. Yeah. How does this help us to think about the way the Chinese philosopher Lao Tzu 
thought about the connection between the infinite and the finite. You know, the nameless is what has created the heavens and the earth. And then now with the life that is birthed from that, the whole world begins, as we say, to dance, right? Mm -hmm. and, and give birth to new life. It flourishes. It, it all flourishes. Up. And yeah. so it becomes this beautiful picture when it's all put together. But it does, it's, it includes both that the sublime and all of the, the living things, all of the, the, and I would say the earthly you know, the earthly yeah. life inside of... The creatures. The, yeah, all the creatures. It is when you understand that connection between both of them, because mm -hmm. it is a common source, but it, it's throwing and it's putting it all together that where you're able to sort of start to understand and grasp the mystery. What's the language of heaven and earth in, in the Tao Te Ching that you found? It's, They're talking about the inorganic right. versus the, the organic. So you have the space, like a setting... For that's the heaven and earth is the the setting where all of this takes place, and then the ten thousand things is all of the organic stuff that yeah, comes the, the from the literal it. So, word that that the Tao Te Ching uses is the ten thousand things, mm -hmm. and the ten thousand things kind of spin out like spokes from a wheel. And it's not meant to be literal as ten thousand things, but it's <laughs> like one hundred forty four thousand things, one hundred forty four thousand <laughs> right. saved people. At the so end. you have the the inorganic and the organic coming together. And creating this beautiful play, mm -hmm. you know, and it's it's the space and the things that fill the space. I, I just I'm not trying to be syncretistic when when I make these parallels between Lao Tzu and and the biblical picture, but it is uncanny that in you if you look at the Genesis creation account, there is something similar. That in the beginning, there was yeah, and in the beginning was this God that then speaks. So there's things that are named. Mm -hmm. I think that's interesting. As this, and this first world, is the inorganic stuff, right? right that he puts first, into place. The this is the framework. The heavens and then the earth. Yeah, the first three days of creation are the spaces, and then the the second uh, set of three, so four, five, and six, are the things that go into Inside the spaces. spaces. There's light and dark on day one. Day four, you've got the sun to govern the day and the moon to govern the night, and then you get at the end of it, you've got this this gardener placed in the garden, and then there's Sabbath rest mm -hmm. again. And so then what happens? Then Adam names the animals. Mm -hmm. So this thing kind of keeps going. God sends this thing on its way, and you have this continued naming. This is so important to us when we think about, say, bird watching. It goes from just an abstract concept of a bird to that is a motmot. -mot. That <laughs> is, you know, a Wilson's warbler or something. And by naming it, I know it in a more intimate way than I had before, and I think that's very spiritual. I describe that experience of knowing a plant species or an animal species, knowing its name and noticing it yeah. as a spiritual moment. Well, and I, I remember before you had started birdwatching, um, and I certainly had no experience you know, with that. You had had some from your, your dad when you were growing up, but... I didn't even realize like how I didn't even notice that the birds were around that much. And when I started looking for them through bird watching, I realized, yeah. oh, they were everywhere, right. you know, but I didn't even see them before, yeah. you know, right. they, they almost started to appear when I started looking for them. Yeah, they did appear. They didn't exist. I mean, this is, and this is the, the application here to the, to the old question, if a tree falls in the forest, does it make a sound <laughs> in, in this sense? The answer is absolutely not. But it's not 
that there wasn't vibrations, and it's not that there wasn't something that we would call a tree that fell and caused those those sonic vibrations. But, but if was, no if one was, hears if it, if there was no hearer to mm-hmm. be heard, then it's not making a noise, right? Yeah, but no, no, it's make. Maybe you could say it makes a noise, but it definitely doesn't make a sound. You see, mm. you see, that's where I'm going. Oh yeah, so yeah. I'm not. So it's the vibration. The like sound you said. still have the yeah, vibration. Like it becomes a sound when I perceive it. But this isn't like to say that we invent the world or it's just a dream or whatever. It's to say that that we all kind of need each other. Light to be seen needs to bounce off of something that blocks it. And so the, I think the whole point, though, with the nudging is that these points where the balance is found mm-hmm. in all of these. There's one end of the spectrum and the other constantly. Mm-hmm. And where do they come together and and find balance to go any one way only is where you get thrown off as yeah. even as a as a creature like with you are too much in your subconscious you might like automatically drive yourself to work on saturday <laughs> you know when you're not really paying attention to what you're doing and where you're going right, you, right. you're going to go somewhere but yeah. you can do it without thinking right and it won't be the probably the the quickest way cuz you you're going to you know go into automatic pilot. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're also constantly in your conscious mind, mm-hmm. you're going to get so caught up in what, the you know, minutia. yeah. And like, even, you know, the, the, the fact that this person did X, Y, or Z to you or yeah. whatever. And, and that now, you know, I can't, you know, go to the movie that I was planning on go to or yeah. whatever it is that you're not, you're, you're, you can blow a whole Saturday just because of some action that somebody did towards you and you didn't right. even enjoy your day off. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I think that's that what you were saying with this is really helpful. The idea that there are times in our life when we need to step back. We need to be detached so that we can observe and then act. Mm-hmm. But when we act, we should act. When we're present, we should be present. So you don't want to be always just tied to whatever's in front of you. But when you're doing that thing, do it with yeah. excellence. Do it with right. Really and that's, your whole and that's being. also in this chapter too, because one of the things is there's a common misconception that um, what the Tao Te Ching is saying is is something similar to Buddhism, where it says to you know sort of get rid of your desires and your you know especially your earthly desires or your longings or whatever. Just mm-hmm. don't want anything, and then you're you'll be fine, right? Type right. of thing, and transcend the want of anything mm-hmm. that your body is telling you, and you'll be better off. Well, it is true that then I guess you could reduce your suffering and things like that by but but I think. I don't think that sheer willpower really is going to actually get rid of our right. desires. And the point isn't we're in these bodies to yeah. experiencing the, yeah. these desires. We're exper- we're here to experience love and we will experience pain, but it's it's about being in the body and enjoying these moments, the play that happens mm-hmm. from being in this creation is what it's what, what that part's all about, but we need to not get so caught up in that, that we allow that to be the only focus if we, because we can then run, you know, run off course. So yeah. if we step back, pull back our attachments and our emotions that are tied to things, then we can reflect and just see the reality yeah. of what's going on around us. It will be less confusing. Yeah. And I'm- then we'll know 
when it's time to jump in there and exactly how to handle a situation. And so it's, it's taking a pause back, getting rid of your own prejudices, biases, or anything else that you've got that are in the way. Mm-hmm. And then you can see the big picture clearly now. And so then you can make your move and it'll be what you need to do in the situation because you didn't put your own, your own interpretation into it or your feelings or, you know, or what you were hoping to be true. That's the other thing. And I think that that's one of the problems too with religion is that sometimes we, there's things that we hope to be true or don't want to be true. And so we don't face it or, or, we want it to be in this nice little box. We want to be able to understand exactly Give what's going on. Give me an example on. of how this... With- I, I think sometimes we want to hope that if we just go to church on Sunday, that that's exactly what God was just asking for us, from us, mm. and that we fulfilled, checked off that box, and there's really nothing else more. But we're not really there. We, we didn't pay attention to what was going on. So You just kind of go through we it. We were like, successful at yeah. fulfilling our obligation. Went to church. Then we checked in on grandma. On Monday, I took the kids to, you know, the violin tutor, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And But you're never really there. And and I think, I don't, there's ways in which people can, they can believe. There are sometimes things where the rapture, it's never mentioned in the Bible. People want to believe in the rapture. I don't know why. I think, I, I think well, Amy Frickholm that we met, remember I was talking about mm-hmm. her on a couple of episodes ago. She says it's because very often especially well, the folks that she met, a lot of the time it was women in Bible studies that felt like their lives were uh, not empowered. So that if they could get raptured, they could escape the, the lives that they're in. That they're kind of, they're, they're made, so like for instance in the, in the book Left Behind, mm-hmm. there's, the, there's the, the wife gets raptured and proves the, to the husband that she was right, right? So it's yeah. a way, it's a, it's, you don't get into rapture culture unless you feel that you're on the outside of empowerment and society and well for me yeah um in my evangelical days what i found reassuring about the rapture was that i will be taken up into heaven and not have to deal with the judgment on earth and the bad things that are going to happen and like i somehow escape that portion of it Poverty, plague, right. ecological a lot collapse. Of, a lot no, of we're just going to escape it. We'll so escape. you escape it because yeah. you were one of yeah. God's people. You but you've got to read the Bible. What yeah. does the Bible say? You know, um, there's a lot of things. Well, there's that, a lot of things. There's, <laughs> there's a, <laughs> well, I mean, there's a lot of misconceptions oh, yeah. that we could, for whatever reason, I don't know why people, you know, make up certain beliefs, but they do, you know, something. Some will argue this, but no, it, it is relatively a recent thing to emphasize this idea of the, what they call dispensationalism, the rapture. And so what you're saying is if you, you're, you're reading the Bible, but are you really there? Are you really listening? Yeah. Or are you you're reading kind of, into yeah. it what you want to? It's an interesting connection. Now, this then takes us to a, a similar, but slightly different. This one's from David. And he talks about, he has a Lutheran background, and I'll let him say his question and then we'll respond. But I think it's a very important question and it involves the youth and sort of uh, our own power and our spirituality. Hi, I first heard your 
New Logic of the Cross at the Here We Still Stand conference, and I've been a very big fan. Uh, listen to everything. I'm very excited. You've led me to, in a whole bunch of different directions. I'm trying to talk so fast because there's so many exciting ideas about what we'd love to hear you talk about on your new podcast. In particular, I think the ways in which people are oppressed, yes, even by Lutheran clergy, even by grace, the oppressive law of grace that I think overwhelms a huge number of we lifelong Lutherans in particular, as well, the role of the laity versus the role of the clarity of, of clergy. Are we sitting in pews doing nothing, as is so often given the sense, or we can go be good people? But if the recon- message of re- reconciliation is to be given us, how do we enact it? How do we enact the power of Christ uh, th- that's given to the church? The you know the it's not a the message is not a matter of talk but of power. There's so much in there. I work with young people in particular uh, who are held down and destroyed by emasculation, by spiritual emasculation, which is by far the bigger power in my experience in the churches of grace than is the authoritarianism of legalism. They're both bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah so he submitted that a long time, a long time ago. ago. We just, we're trying to find the right way to weave weave these things all in. It fits very nicely with what we've been saying. In many ways, each of these questions and calls is something we've been already addressing. It's it's the one big theme. But this is actually straight up yeah, what, well, and what I, we've been dealing when with. He, and he mentioned the oppressive... Law of grace. Now, what on earth? What <laughs> on earth like, do you think that means? Because you would think grace can't be oppressive. And can't. <laughs> that also really struck a chord with me. I'm like, okay, but yes, like when, when there's a grace that then doesn't allow you to then respond to how that makes you feel alive and want to like, you know, play and dance and like respond to this. And, you know, and no, you just have to, you know, you're just supposed to sit there and, and take it all in. Right. You know, you can't, you can't go and share that, you know, like. Don't it, do anything good because, <laughs> because then or don't, don't try too hard because then it makes it look, look like, like you're you don't trying believe to, in the doctrine. Yeah. That, oh, I mean, and, and I think that there's a lot of people, I mean, a lot of youth um, that came up also when we were uh, this summer when you were speaking that, you know, I, I know Christ has died for me. I get that. But like now what? You know, and it's not that they don't want it's not that they're asking about doing any works to it's, earn a salvation. It's not about earning. They like, I know to I totally or, get this. Yeah. And I and what can I do with my faith now? Mm-hmm. Like what is, you know, and what's the point of it? What's the point of it? Because it's not. And again, and they're not asking for an action that they have to do or anything, but like, what does it mean yes. that this I a, have this? This is a particularly conservative Lutheran problem, and it's really been one that has kind of been a hassle for Lutherans in, in more like German-American circles for a while. That, that relationship between what's called justification, your aligning with God, your being declared righteous by mm-hmm. God, and sanctification, which is the life of healing the world through being the presence of God in the world, through being the body of Christ in the world, being the right. temple of the Holy Spirit in yeah, a world. What does it mean to be the body of Christ mm-hmm. in this world? What does it mean when it says in the Bible that the kingdom of heaven is at hand? For many, many uh, Western Christians in power, after Constantine, the idea that the kingdom of God is at hand is a revolutionary cry or some kind of radical 
movement goes away for the most part. That anybody who's doing that is dangerous. And the fact is, a lot of people over the centuries who have said that have been really dangerous. Jonestown was an attempt at the yeah. kingdom of God. Oh. Uh, there was, there was a, in the city of Munster, there was you know, a couple like David Koresh types mm-hmm. that, were, that were just causing all sorts of mayhem. So you, know, you get these death cults that come when you try to have the utopia. Yeah. At the same time, there is such a, a kind of boredom that comes from the complacency of, of just Western social Christianity. My favorite line, I, I'm paraphrasing it, but Soren Kierkegaard, the Danish theologian um, and philosopher, he was, uh, he was reflecting in a newspaper. He wrote something like, the bishop came to town and preached on the words of Jesus, blessed are the poor, and he was wearing an elaborate robe and ruby slippers, and no one laughed. <laughs> so the so the idea was he was saying like oh and he would say things like you know how many how many Christians are there in Denmark all of them all of them are Christians and he didn't even want to be called a Christian because he thought it was just so hypocritical and blasphemous to think that Christian was just some social club that you're into rather than this radical new way of Jesus but there is a way in which because of a fear of enthusiasts they used to be called or the schwärmer that the, the the Lutherans called them that there was sometimes grown up a complacency. Now, I tell you why this happens, though. What we were attracted to about Lutheranism Mm -hmm. in our 20s was this idea that we had come from a legalistic evangelicalism that made us fear that we had maybe not done enough to get God's love. So what what Lutheranism says is it's all finished. Jesus took care of all of your sins 2,000 years ago. You are loved. Don't you worry about it. And that's what we needed to hear. We needed to hear that. And there's a lot of people that Mm -hmm. need to hear that. And so if you... If you have been bombarded by moralism that is nitpicky, not really about deep justice, but just about not, you know, watching The Simpsons or not cussing that's or not, not listening what, to Eminem. That's not what Jesus was saying. That's that was not, not the main thing. No. His message. So, so I really want to respect that, that for, for some people that came from very uptight, like, kind of thing, then dance. Yeah. Okay? Dance and say, you know what? You don't have to do anything. This is Luther. He said, you don't owe anybody anything. But you also, the Christian is somebody who gives themselves to everybody. And it's that second part that's, that's kind of difficult. I think a practical question you can ask yourself when, you know, is what is your motivation behind doing an action? Is it something that you're doing out of obligation? Is it something that you're doing because, you know, you feel like God would want you to do that? Those are the the good works that you want to stay away from and are he- and unhealthy for you. Yes. But if your motivation is that this is just something that flows out of your heart and you can't help but want to share this or help somebody in some way, that's what that's that's the fruit of the spirit. That's mm-hmm. the fruit of what you have the grace working in you. But again, just check yourself on your motivation. Stop doing what you what you feel that you're doing out of obligation or out of anything other than love. Look at that language of the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit is in you. And then what does Spirit do? And this is very much Tao Te Ching. It just nourishes like water. It flourishes. And everything just springs up. And so you don't have to work at works. What you have to do is receive the Spirit, right? Yes. Become the embodiment, be the 
the temple of the Holy Spirit and let, and let that love flow. Let it flow. Just don't get in the way of it. And yeah. so I think what I think what the call is really getting to is this idea that sometimes people want to just relax and just be exuberant and shout hallelujah in whatever way that you know, whatever and idiom not, that looks like. And not being judged that you are trying to earn your salvation. Right. It's a or tricky that it's business. Self righteousness. And I tell you what, this is the thing though. There is something so empowering when you when you really see the connection of all things in this moment of the incarnation of Jesus and what Jesus then brings, what he's teaching um, is really, really, really powerful and it's transformative. It actually takes us back to Brett's question, which is the humanity of Jesus. I, I should have said it this way too. If your church does not care at all about the teachings of Jesus because they think that that's only for a very specific time in, you know, first century Palestine, if Jesus doesn't have anything to say to you and how you treat the poor today. And all that matters was his death, then you're- As an abstraction? You're missing something. You are totally missing something. And I mean, and this is something that we need to be especially attentive to for us, say in affluent Southern California, there are a lot of Christians. Everybody's a Christian in Orange County, California. (laughs) Not everybody, but it's a very, very common thing and often very conservative Christians. Uh, are are around here, and I'm thinking like in suburban well, Orange we're, County. And we're right now, right near Saddleback. You yeah, know, Saddleback obviously. is Rick Warren's picture, and I'm not picking on anyone in particular here. I am saying that there are a lot of folks who, if you talk to them about the way of Jesus or the teachings of Jesus about justice, they will be angry. Yes. I will quote Jesus directly to people and they say, you're sounding like a socialist (laughs) or you're sounding like a social justice warrior or you're sounding like, you know, like uh, you're virtue signaling. Mm -hmm. And I think the way of Jesus is the way of Jesus. It never ceases to amaze me how many people who have the logo of Jesus, who walk around shouting the name of Jesus, are absolutely deaf and obstinately deaf to the teachings of Jesus because they say, well, that's just all law, but I've got the grace part. So I don't need, like, I don't, I'm not even in that world anymore. The gospel has set me free to ask, how do I relate to other human beings in this body that I've been given for this time that I've been given? So if, if you go to a church and they are hostile to service of helping people, helping people, especially people that are uh, on the outs, not empowered, uh, who have been harmed, if you're always on the side of power and money and and uh, and dominance, you're in a dangerous, dangerous spot. Not that I'm saying now you're going to go to hell. I'm saying you're not getting fed the proper food. Right, so find a new church. Now, this this is, again, why I think that corrective for Brett's question was important and why it's something for uh, for everybody. If you're in church work, if you're doing doing youth work, good. Get this to the kids, that there is this excitement that comes from receiving this idea of the unconditional love that is talked about in what we call the gospel. But then, if that's all it is, this becomes cheap. Now, I'll talk about cheap grace. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is somebody who is uh, probably the the grooviest youth pastor of all time, (laughs) just in terms of just coolness right um and he 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 opposed the nazis so that that's always cool right he was in prison and and then he was executed by the nazis right in a plot against them he talks about this thing called costly grace or uh he contrasts costly grace with cheap grace and a lot of a lot of conservative lutherans do not like bonhoeffer precisely because of this because they think he's saying you gotta earn unconditional love that's 
self-contradictory, right? So, so Bonhoeffer talks about this idea of, of cheap grace. Mm-hmm. And when I first heard about it, I never really paid attention to it because I wasn't interested in being tricked back into a Lutheran version of my legalism. Right, like, no, right. no, it's absolutely free. I don't want to hear anything about, well, you get unconditional love, but can you just maybe do a little <laughs> bit just, just to show that you're, right, you know, no. grateful. It's not no. that at all. It actually ties us back in with what you were reading with the Tao Te Ching. Let me read just a section from this. Bonhoeffer says, cheap grace means grace as a doctrine, a principle, a system. It means forgiveness of sins proclaimed as a general truth, the love of God taught as the Christian conception of God. An intellectual assent to that idea is held to be itself sufficient to secure remission of sins. The church which holds the correct doctrine of grace has, it is supposed, ipso facto, a part in that grace. In other words, come to the right church, believe the right thing about grace, and you'll have the grace. (laughs) That's all you need. Just know the right thing, say yes to it, and everything's fine. Well, everything is fine, and you'll learn your lessons, right? (laughs) Everything's fine, but... But there's a deep danger to the world. There's people suffering because people were that weak, that was that thin. Maybe it should have been not cheap grace, but a thin grace or a thin theology or something. He says, cheap grace, therefore, amounts to, de- uh, to a denial of the living word of God. In fact, a denial of the incarnation of the word of God. Mm. And this becomes Gnostic. That is, you separate the, the, the human from the spirit in Jesus, and you just focus on the spirit. It's just a bunch of ideas. Mm-hmm. It is abstractions. Or, or I've sometimes joked, some people believe that, that Protestant theology is, I am saved by having the right theology about justification, <laughs> or I'm justified because I have the right theory of justification, right. or Jesus atones for my sins because I have the right theory of the atonement, and God looks at my proper theology as if it were righteousness and then and, say and okay, forgives me for the other stuff good. nope jesus comes and reaches out to us pulls us up out of the uh, out of uh, the I'm world of death we're, we're out of this we're getting out of this whole system now what does it look like to live in the new logic he says uh, bonhoeffer again cheap grace means the justification of sin without the justification of the sinner in other words not only is jesus abstract but but sin is abstract hmm. so it's like Okay, yeah, I'm a sinner, but you never really get to the things that you're doing to just crush people in your life. Right. Not because so, so what you're saying is it gives you permission to keep continuing without um, reflection? Yeah. You stepped on somebody and you say, well, yep, I'm a sinner. You didn't pay somebody enough. Well, that's right. I'm a sinner. Christians aren't forgiven. Right. Christians aren't uh, perfect. They're just forgiven. And that's not, that's not the message. That's not the message at all. One last line from, uh, from the same text He says, the justification of the sinner in the world degenerated into the justification of sin and the world. And this is something that we do have to be worried about. It's to say, uh, well, we would have helped the Jews, but, you know, the world's a messy place. You know, Uh, what can I do about poverty? Mm -hmm. You know what? Well, maybe you can't fix it all, but to just be dismissive of people suffering because you're forgiven or to say, well, I'm not going to even work on making my children less exasperated by my behavior towards them, you know? Right. It's like, hey, right, I'm, I'm a forgiven. sinner. I'm, forgiven. I'm a sinner. I'm forgiven, whatever. That's, uh, that's gross. Yeah. But again, if you're still thinking about this in terms of 
am I going to go to heaven or hell? It's not. It's You're not. missing the point. Yeah. And it's not because you need that for God to love you. It's that you have that as your birthright. Yeah. You can be a sage. Mm-hmm. You can be the presence of the infinite in a world that sometimes feels deep pain and abandonment. Mm-hmm. You can be the presence in a world where people don't feel the presence when they feel forsaken. It's It's an an invitation. invitation. And it's an invitation for you because it's really a lot of fun. (laughs) If you really want, when you can actually find that human connection with somebody else who's in pain and bring a little bit of life to them and they bring a little bit of life to you, that that mutual gift giving, it is one of the most beautiful things I've ever experienced. So I'm sorry if I love it. I love it. I love what I love. (laughs) So I guess forgive me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but and, and Luther though said like if you do good works outside of faith that's like a mortal sin in other words if you're doing things to 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 earn something well the, you're, that's he, also I, spiritually unhealthy and I think that the and what he I think where he's getting at with that Luther yeah the reason the mortal sin part is when you think oh I've got my act together yeah that I'm doing all these great things for all these yep. people yep. you are missing the fact that you need God. You're missing the fact that you need this new way of thinking. And you're missing the fact that you might be really hurting people along the way that you're not paying attention to. And often you're probably doing your giving with a certain hierarchy and that you are looking down at them. Well, I'm going to go drop down and do this little good deed here or whatever. Or you're contributing to something uh, that a friend's doing that's an equal and you're gaining access to that culture and that community, but you're not serving people who have nothing to give you yeah. other than that mutuality. All right, let's go to the third question. Uh, the third question comes from our friend Badger. And Badger's the coolest man. I've known that <laughs> yes. guy for a while. Sometimes we were steps able into to my class. Communicate back and forth. Sorry with... we did not uh, have the same travel route. We never really got up to your well, to pr- your trucking the, route. Well, the problem is, is it got it got cold even down south. Yeah. So we didn't have the prop the we didn't have the camper properly like a, the ability of it to be going through those icy cold areas and in higher up because a cold freeze came in before we were done but anyway we'll be back on the road on the western part of the country in may or june yeah and he has an interesting reflection on yoga and meditation and i will let him speak for himself and then we'll address his question after hi jeff and stacy this is badger and i am so thankful that you guys are sharing your journey with us i and we give us a chance to uh comment and be part of the show i really i really do appreciate that i wanted to comment on the yoga uh stacy was talking about a couple one of the first episodes i have been so blessed with yoga and meditation in my christian walk with god and i and i really had a uh kind of a rough start with that because seven or eight years ago when I got back into the word of God and praying I uh, was told by by a few different people that I trusted I, I was told that that yoga was of the devil and meditation was an eastern religious practice and Christians shouldn't do it and it I didn't for a little bit, but it, it kept bothering me. I kept running into verses in the Bible that that uh, made me think that that these guys were off base a little bit. And sure enough, 
Um, even Chad Bird at one point in 40 minutes of the Old Testament uh, said that that worship is a physical experience in the Old Testament almost as much as a mental and heartfelt experience. And then the uh, meditation, he called the, he said that was, was meditation was um, repeating words of scripture of the Torah, repeating them and that kind of reminded me of that New Testament verse that we're renewing your mind. So anyway, they both of those things, once I started practicing them, have helped me so much. I mean, it's just so perfect to get into a psalm and do a yoga routine that, you know, you can find so many yoga routines and and then uh, put your own psalm to it and repeat the psalm while you're doing it and your body and your mind and your heart are all, uh, you know, in, in uh, harmony. I guess that's the word I want. Anyway, I just am so grateful and thankful to have you guys on the air. And part of my, part of my journey, God has blessed me so much with, with podcasts and audiobooks that I can listen to while I'm driving. And I really, uh, Look forward to running into you sometime before your sabbatical's over. So Badger is, is you know, this is straight up our alley, you know, and this is something we keep <laughs> yeah. threatening to do. Well, and, and I totally resonate with this, obviously, from those of you that heard our, like, one of our first episodes when I explained the process of how I came to yoga. And, you know, I I honestly thought that there was, it was something of the devil or something, right? Um and then I you're going to open yourself up to literal demonic spirits. <laughs> yes, I can. When I'm, if I, if I at all meditate, that somehow I become an empty vessel for evil to, you know, sink in to me or something. Mm-hmm. And then I don't know. I guess maybe like become demon possessed or something. Right. And but then I, I so far so good. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! That's <laughs> my husband. Of, so that we know of. That we know of. Yes. <laughs> Hopefully, there's truth. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Anyway, um, but I learned that the importance of the body and and that connection to my body and that rather than thinking that my body is something of the devil, you know, that was part of it. Like my human urges, I thought were were bad, you know, that that I needed to somehow not have it. I mean, you can't and and you can't help. The Emotions, way, yeah. hungers, yeah. You can't help that. What you can help, and learning with the Tao Te Ching, is your reaction to it. Yeah. You know, and, you can and discern them. You yes, and so with yoga with and meditation, it's extremely helpful to be able to get bring your spirituality and your body back together and have that unity. Yep, and that's what I've found. Let me give you. There, there was a there was a thing too, where sometimes you can you can touch your body or you could like mm-hmm. rub like your arm. Or you can kind of tap your own shoulders, and I've found that just that alone, when I'm when I'm feeling that my body is kind of revolting on me through anxiety, I'm getting out of my head. I'm worried about finances. I'm worried about whatever, and I 
tap, 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 tap. And I'm just kind of like just patting my own self mm-hmm. to remind myself that I'm in myself. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, you feel the the parameters of your body mm-hmm. when you touch it. And this ain't no this woo-woo. <laughs> this ain't no woo-woo, friends. This is an immediate way for me to deal with my body exhibiting signs of stress. Mm-hmm. It was, I'm all up in my head, you know, and, and, and now I'm going to re- recenter myself in this body. And I think one of the reasons why you've got so much of this movement around the country, in the United States at least, and in the West, at, of yoga, is because people's understanding of what religion was wasn't spiritual enough in the sense that we're using it. That mm-hmm. is, it was bringing them both together. But I will warn you, you do have, just like you don't want to go to any old church, you yeah, don't. <laughs> go to any old yoga studio. I mean, sometimes, you know, like we've seen that it seems like there's a guru or something. Read your then... <laughs> Yelp reviews, friends. You could yeah. say I'm just going to yoga and it turns out to be a bunch of people meditating and listening to, to yeah, somebody who is, and maybe they're great. Maybe you're into that sort of thing. But if you are a, let's say, a conservative Christian and we and you feel tricked, you'd be, you'd be feeling pretty angry at Jeff and Stacy if you show up <laughs> and there's a guru there and they got a big picture of, you know, the Maharishi, Mahesh Yogi or something behind him mm-hmm. and saying, we're meditating. And I think that's part of it. You know, like my, I got an uncle in Transcendental Meditation or whatever. It's kind of a movement. So people that are outside of that are saying, well, I don't want to be a part of that other right. movement. That's a real thing, especially in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. But really, when you think about it, meditation, like what... that prayer we do prayer in church mm-hmm. you're you're con- communicating and connecting with the divine right and 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 so there is this element where i think we often sometimes have used prayer as more like how we've discussed magic mm-hmm. you know you you have your you're you're hoping that god listens to you and grants your wishes of you know what and yeah, I think we do make we make our desires known to God. We, you know, when we when we are in prayer or even in meditation, you can you can be real with, you know, what yeah. what where you want to go lay in that life, out. you know, lay it out. Yep. But it's not this magic recipe for getting all that you, you know, are 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 wanting. Like sometimes And if I go enough, then I'll finally maybe get the I, genie to come I out of the bottle. If I believed enough. That's that my, so bad. That somebody will find healing. In in a lot of the televangelists, you know, they say, "Well, if my if my uh, you know anointed p- prayer cloth doesn't heal you, that's because you didn't have enough faith." But you know, and some and sometimes people will get healed. You know, but there there's that, and if they don't, and when you are really when you are in prayer and meditation, I think you can be at peace with the outcome and know yeah. that ultimately I, that ultimately everything will be okay, and we can rest in that. And then now have this this ex- exploration of this connection to God and your own body, and how you should live the rest of the day. Like right, and if you're you, if you're yeah. if you're doing a yoga, like sometimes I like to do a morning yoga, and especially if it's if it's more like yin, more more stretching, I am able to calm my frantic manic self, and then think through just kind of like what you were saying earlier. I pull back from my attachment to all these things and then focus on what do I really need to be doing today? Yeah. And they'll often, they'll word it in yoga to say, you know, setting your intention. Yeah. You know, and sounds and you, real new agey, but, but I need to do that. You can make I'm that whatever frantic. that is yeah. for you. So Christianize yeah. your experience. Like, Am you don't I going have to be to, a peacemaker? Yeah. Like, do I want to focus on, on love and loving those around me? You know, do I want to focus on strength right now? You know, mm-hmm. I, I really need, 
I need strength to get through this day. I'm going through a lot of difficult things mm-hmm. and there's some suffering around me and my family or something, you know, then that's maybe what you you focus on. You pick your focus, but it's not, it's not this <laughs> meditation isn't, um, it doesn't have to be at least a, a, a magic thing, right? It probably shouldn't be. It's not. See, when you're doing a mantra, like right, when you're if doing like a mantra to get some magic spell going, that's magic. That's a when, different thing. Yeah, or when you're calling upon a, a dark, dark entity to do your bidding, that's magic. When you are recognizing the presence of God right here, right now, even in this sore back that you've got, or as, uh, as I think Alice said, you know, sometimes that being, being alone and unmoving in a, in a hospital room and no one's around you, there mm-hmm. is that presence in, with, and under the whole of the soup that you're swimming in. And pray, you can pray, pray for comfort, feel, you know, that feeling of, God surrounding you and and lifting you up and carrying you in the yeah. places that you don't feel that you have the strength of the moment to That's get through. That's meditation. Yes. Now, there's another side of this, by the way, that sometimes you go to yoga. So sometimes you go to something called yoga, and it's a religion. You're like, I don't need this. Yeah. Okay? It's like an official, now i got to join this group. That's mm-hmm. religion. Mm-hmm. Then you go to some other things, and it's people thinking that they're going to use these, you know, the law of attraction to to manipulate the world without voodoo dolls but with you know like other gimmicks mm-hmm. and that might be magic okay mm-hmm. but spirituality is going in laying on your back closing your eyes for a second stepping back and saying what am i doing here yeah. <laughs> you know and what am i doing here enfolded into god's reality that is very very helpful it's very helpful to reconnect that back to the body yes. right and how we 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 do this and the fact is if you're not hurting anybody okay and you're not calling upon the Dark Lord, why is it that so many conservative Christians want to keep you from that experience? And I think I know why. When I, let me take a shot at this. What? Sometimes they're just being trying to be faithful. But sometimes they know darn well that whatever it is that they were given and the thing that they're shilling to people is not healing, is not bringing them happiness, is not bringing them joy. And they know that sometimes that there are these other ways of connecting to God that are not under their control. Yeah. So it's kind of like, don't dance, don't play cards, don't, uh, don't go to the saloon. That's because in the frontier of America, the church and the saloon were the two institutions in, in old <laughs> you know, Western town that were competitors, in a way, for yeah. people's attention. You know, are you going to be singing and praying in the church, or are you going to be dancing? We live in a culture and a society that, whether they realize it or not, they don't want you to find the true healing because, in, if, if, for instance, if you get per, given a prescription for anxiety yeah. from your doctor, you'll keep going and coming in and buying yeah. the prescription. You know, if you actually get to the source of the cause of your anxiety and stop that, you'll no longer need the medication. Let me give you a controversial application of what the lady just said. Okay. Ready, baby? Yeah. I'm going to get controversial. I think that sometimes we need to have more opportunities to have private confession to something like a priest. I'm mm-hmm. not a Catholic, right? I kind of envy that in one sense and find it horrific in another sense. Mm-hmm. The idea that I need to keep going back to kind of make sure that I've cleaned out everything so that I'm not like unworthy, that kind of panic mm-hmm. that, that say really triggered Martin Luther's Reformation. The idea that I need to go into the confessional as a way of getting God not to be mad at me anymore and that's not very helpful. No. But as a way for me to go and reflect 
almost kind of like you know a therapist. Yeah. If I'm going to go in and say I need to I need to get this get this out, I need to start processing that. We need to do more mm-hmm. of that. That the idea that I need to keep going back to confession to be reminded that God loves me because the act of confession is what is making God love me again. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the swindle. <laughs> right? Yeah. If I'm going to go back and be reminded that God loved me and always has loved me and always will love me, that's a different kind of experience than now that I've now that I've confessed all the bad things I did, right? Like kind of like dad's coming home on a Friday after a business trip is like, "Okay, well what I did was and then you get that out there and then you get your spanking or whatever, even if you get forgiveness, that's that's the churches, that's religion trying to keep you on the trying to keep you coming back for the medicine for the medicine that they dispense instead of being a celebration of the awe and beauty and and the infinite medicine that never runs out yes that no one owns and how much you are just yes and awe and appreciation and true worship yes of the eternal yes you know that's what worship should be it's not about everlasting coming back so that you don't go to hell. <laughs> and let me give you one more. When the angels sing, holy, 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 they sing it to each other. They're saying, holy, holy. You see this? Do you see this wonder? That's beautiful. That's what the community should be. Yes. If there's any value to religious communities, it's us getting together going, let's stay on track here because this is so beautiful. Do you see this? I see this. Do you see this? But what we've turned it into is you better go for an hour and a half and make sure that the big old man in the sky hears you say, holy, 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 at least three times. You've done your penance. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's back (coughs) against the grace. (coughs) Go to yoga. Don't go to church if that's what church is, right? Mm -hmm. If church is, is, is beating yourself enough so that God will love you again, then yeah, no, 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 no. But if yoga, and I'll tell you one more, can I give you one more? Mm -hmm. If yoga, on the flip side, yoga can be not spiritual at all. Yeah. And you still go do it if you love it. But there's a lot of people that have turned yoga into a way of looking fit, Mm -hmm. you know, getting ripped. Now you can do that if you want, but there's, you know, you, that Peloton commercial, that panic in her eye, that idea of saying, oh no, like, am I fit enough? Mm -hmm. So, so often people do yoga not to find peace with their bodies but to beat their bodies just like to, Luther was doing in his Catholic monastery. Whip them up into shape and get yeah. it, you know. Yeah. 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 So be discerning. That's the whole point, friends. So I say, whether it's yoga, church, everything, look again at the motivation behind it. And how how do you feel after? I mean, you can't deny, like if, what Badger said, you know, I, this thought in the back of his head, but I, I was gaining something there. Like I can't. Mm. Listen to that. You've, if you're gaining you, something, you you're gaining something. Healing. You Trust felt it. healing. True healing comes from that divine source of love, mm-hmm. right? The the mm-hmm. what I'm trying to say without like getting too new agey is when it when it brings healing, it's the right kind of medicine. You know? Yeah. Well if it yeah, if it heals you, that's the way you should be taken. So I would definitely say Badger, thank you so much for what you've said. I, I definitely, we would say that you've got to trust your perceptions. This is the perfect example of where you start to trust your perceptions. If you found healing, if you found that this was a positive activity, that it's not coming from the devil or, you know, that kind of thing. When, when, with what you were, the way you were talking about, it, the way you were describing it. You should get wisdom from religious teachers, but you don't need their permission. So, don't just listen to us. 
what if what we're trying to convey isn't what you're hearing? Yeah, right. <laughs> and then, so, yeah. yeah, like that's maybe like somehow we're not saying it in a language right. that you can understand. Right. And then yeah. like, yeah. So are they saying the... I should join this weird cult? <laughs> no. no. Uh, this whole podcast is about you not joining a cult <laughs> and finding ways to find peace without being in a cult. Okay. <laughs> just in case you were not clear on that. If you just got out of a cult and you need that centering and you don't want to do it with a guru, then go to a yoga studio that doesn't have a guru and find a place to pray and to think and to, and to be and, able to do this. And I would also mention that especially uh, yin yoga or restorative yoga yeah. or a gentle yoga, all three of those are a lot slower paced yeah. and offer a little bit more of that, that room that feels to me that's more meditative uh, with it rather than the vinyasas or the hot... You know, the hot yogas. Or do something like it. Surf, hike, bird watch. The key is to Get reconnect. Yeah, to reconnect to your organic self. You don't have to worship nature in, in this way. You need to worship in nature. Correct. Okay. Now, this is actually interesting because when we, when we bring it full circle, there's this idea in a lot of Protestant, very cognitive versions of Protestantism that the only thing we should talk about is Jesus died for your sins. Don't talk about what Jesus taught. Don't t- talk about how Jesus lived politically and ethically. Don't worry about that stuff. Just Jesus as an abstraction. And they get it very often from this text, 1 Corinthians 2. Would you read that verse, please? Yeah, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, what this tends to mean for a lot of people is the only thing that we talk about is the sacrificial atonement of Jesus. So Ken, in, in, the, in the Tao Te Ching, in, in chapter one, is it saying when the, the Tao that, you know, the Tao can't be put into dogma? Are we saying that dogma doesn't matter no, or, or words about God or spirituality don't matter? No, not at all. What it's saying is that the words can only get you so far. They can dance around it, if you will, mm-hmm. that you, it's really something to be experienced. But the words are important. It's kind of like a map or something. Yes. Like, so Augustine said, you know, if you can contain it, it's not God. And then the early uh, Protestant theologians even agree with this and said, you know, words cannot fully comprehend or contain all of the infinite reality. That doesn't mean that words don't matter. Right. right. We actually use words. We, we use these words. It's, it's the dance around this, this centerpiece, right? Mm-hmm. Now, but what, what I think Paul is saying in, in, in verse 2 is that he didn't try to know the, um, like the other isms, the other political parties, the, the other sects, right? He's saying the thing that matters was the thing that mattered, was, this, was the incarnation. So instead of focusing just on verse 2 as as saying the only thing that we talk about is the substitutionary atonement, or the only thing we talk about is the abstract work of Jesus to take away the sins of human beings. Would you read for the dear listener the entirety? You know, I'm sorry, friends, if, if, if you need to go, that's fine. You know, or you could pause and come back to it. But here, Stacey's going to read. The I was inti- going to read just a section, but then I started reading the whole thing. I'm like, we got to read this read the whole, whole chapter. thing. It just makes more sense. And yeah. read it in light of what we were talking about with respect to Lao Tzu's chapter one of the Tao Te Ching. Not that they're saying the exact same thing, but there's a similar theme here that I think can help you see it maybe in a new light. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence 
or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, and that's a capital S, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Verse 6, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it was written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. Again, capital S. The Spirit, capital S, searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit, and that's a little s, within them. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the capital S, Spirit of God. What we have received is not the lowercase spirit of the world, but the capital S spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, capital S, (laughs) explaining spiritual realities with capital S Spirit taught words. The person without the capital S Spirit does not accept the things that come from the capital S Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the capital S Spirit. The person with this capital S Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments for who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. There is... You've got the logos. There's a a mystery there that... Mystery upon mysteries. That can't fully be put into words. And there's something that you discover through prayer, meditation, through really receiving the capital S Spirit of God inside you. Too often, we keep that capital S Spirit from communicating to us. We or need, religious leaders want to stop you from having access here, to it. That yeah. you, they want you to hear their wisdom, not the deeper wisdom that's being talked about here. The whole wisdom that the, the, the Christ had, the, the, the very thing that got him killed. Mm-hmm. I'd I say that's, that's what like, meditation's all about, connecting, connecting to that. He who has ears to hear, Jesus says. Meditating helps you get those ears. Yeah. So, for whatever it's worth, I see a, a huge connection here. This is this has been my experience. This is where I've been able. And Badger. Yeah, and Badger. So, 
But whatever that is for you to be able to connect with the capital S spirit. Even if people don't understand it, maybe there are folks that are of the world that couldn't understand it because they've got a different framework. Yeah. Don't give up on that. The the capital S spirit finding whatever yeah. you do, you know, <laughs> yeah. don't give up on that. And I think that that is the beginning to finding peace upon peace. My heart was ripe for the picking that night when you rolled through. Blood still yearns for you. Matter what I do. Trying my best My synapses won't reconnect Feel like a sinking ship You're the ocean that's pouring in On poison lips, let her drink water from sea. Her pale face turns red with shame, pulse away from deep beneath. Within The lines between Dying fig tree Book of poetry Jesus Christ Sylvia Plath Get it right
across the U.S., we have found a website that we absolutely love. It's called Harvest Hosts. Could you imagine camping overnight in a vineyard, distillery, brewery, or a golf course all to yourself? We've been doing it, and it is absolutely magical. If you go to our website, protectyournoggin.org, you'll find a link where you can sign up and get 15% discount on the annual fee. We think it'll put a smile on your face, and you can help support the podcast at the same time. All you need is an RV or camper with a toilet and cooking facilities, and you can stay all around the country for free. We hope you dig it as much as we do. Check it out. 